Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My guest today is a startup addict. He is currently the VP and Director of E-Commerce at San Diego Coffee, Tea and Spice. And he's also a proud father of a new baby and an avid surfer. And we were just talking about how life changes just before the recording started. Uh, but uh, so uh, you know, with uh, sleepless nights and everything. But nevertheless, he's today here. So uh, without further ado, so meet uh, Craig Craig Leslie. So welcome to the show, Craig. Thanks, Nick. I'm happy to be here and uh, appreciate the invite. Oh, uh, anytime. So you are currently going through something that is commonly not the case for Amazon sellers. So uh, tell us what that is. You've got a few other things that I'm going to bring up because it's pretty unique, but this one is interesting. So tell us uh, what it is that you're going through. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely the biggest project I have undertook on Amazon and it is switching our entire catalog and multiple brands from vendor central to seller central. So, uh, so you were a vendor to Amazon originally. Correct. Now you decided to become a seller. Correct. We have been a vendor. I guess it's been longer than 12 years. We've had control of the account because we acquired the company about 12 years ago. Um, and just with the improvements in Seller Central versus Vendor Central, it makes more sense for a brand or brands our size to be on Seller Central. Um, and that's why I made the decision. But it's a huge, huge project. So, okay, so now we're going to dig into this because this is a big subject. There are a lot of companies who are considering on getting on Amazon and, and they are thinking, well, why don't we sell to Amazon and they can do the whole work? So, first of all, I heard you mention that you acquired the company. So, they were already a vendor to Amazon. Yes, and that was back in two thousand. 11, I think, or 2012. So they were very early uh, or early-ish in the Amazon ecosystem. Um, and at that time, Seller Central either didn't exist or it was just getting up and going. It was a completely different platform at the time. So Vendor Central was kind of the main option. That's how Amazon worked during that time. And obviously, um, Anybody who has been around Amazon for that long understands Amazon's transition from really the vendor side to uh, not pushing seller or not pushing brands to seller central, but certain size brands to seller central, um, just because of the you know the management bandwidth on the Amazon side that it takes for vendor central. Yeah. So just to give it a little bit of a perspective, um, so Amazon. First of all, Amazon changes all the time, so you don't you don't recommend daily, it. <laughs> especially especially during Prime Month. <laughs> yeah, so uh, also you know when you look at it in perspective, like compared to a year ago, uh, operational changes happen daily, but policy changes also are constant. So uh, going way back, you know, Amazon started in mid nineties with books, as you know, and then they went to, they, they made it a marketplace for anybody to sell. But the model was originally in the early days. And we're talking like early two thousands. It was basically reselling stuff. People who right. could buy, you know, wholesale, they could list the, the items existed on Amazon and they would simply resell. So that was the model, but you're right about, the, them becoming more of a welcoming, if you like, platform for people to create their own private label products. So, so that's one. So that's that's not really. I mean, that really is going full speed uh, now because pretty much anybody and everybody who understands the Amazon platform and how to navigate it, how to build a brand, they build a brand just on Amazon, and then they add other channels. 
Um, the other perspective is Amazon's philosophy in the early days was revenue growth for Wall Street. So they didn't care. They just basically wanted to sell anything and everything at the lowest possible price. And therefore, they would invite any vendor to come in and you know, sell the products. They would offer, they would say, you do the advertising and we'll give you a PO. Perfect arrangement. Well, actually, you know, that was not so perfect for some anyway. But then right. things changed because they shifted their focus from revenue growth to profitability. And they purged a bunch of vendors. You know all these things, being a vendor yourself. So, so a lot of things changed. So now suddenly you have a situation where you have a bunch of vendors who are not necessarily satisfied. And uh, some, they don't even care to be a vendor anymore. They just go become a seller. So now tell us about your uh, decision-making process of going from being a vendor to seller. Why did you decide that? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. I think if I was to boil it down to one word, it'd be control. Um, we, control of what? Control of well, in it, Yeah, and I, it, so I think it's control of the, our brands, really, right? So price control, um, content control, copy control, um, graphics. You know, Seller Central makes it so easy if you know the, if you know the platform. <laughs> a <laughs> little little asterisk there uh makes it so easy to up, update that content and make it um relevant to the customer or uh, keep it updated where vendor central yes you can do it um but it's a little bit clunkier um review times take a little bit longer and, and amazon ultimately has control so and i think that i think the control level on pricing is a big thing too because if Amazon wants to sell it for a loss, they'll sell it for a loss. Um, if they want to get it out of their warehouse where seller central, um, obviously we have price control. We can lower the cost if we need to, to move product or, um, you know, if we had to, we have the ability to remove orders and bring it back so that it doesn't flood the market as, um, you know, subpar looking like a subpar product that's selling for really inexpensive. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned two key things. One is content control and the other is price control. So to dig into this a little bit more. So content control basically means if you are a, a seller looking to create a listing, you just go put your information, your title, your bullets, whatever, and then plug in the UPC. And if it doesn't exist on the Amazon platform, it will create a listing. So at that point, and this is as a seller, you can go back and make any changes on that listing. If, however, you are picking up a UPC on already Amazon and you create your own listing to, to resell that item, then you have no such control because whoever created that listing owns that listing, right? To make the change. Right. Yeah. So well, I think I think that's one of the best things Amazon has done is brand registry so that the brands can actually have control. Um, you know, I, we're in a unique situation where we manufacture the brand. We are the brand we have, we don't provide distribution contracts. So, um, if somebody's reselling our product, they're doing so against the terms and conditions. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but the key here is, as a brand owner, if you are a vendor, you don't have that control to go in and make changes, right? That's <laughs> right. The, that's the, that's the, that's the nuance. So yeah, uh, exactly. And that is the nuance that 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 said to you, no, 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 this is not going to work going forward. We want full control because I know what it's like. Uh, I, I had a client; they started as a vendor also, and when I came on board, they. The listings were a mess. They, they just needed to be redone. And some of them had to be just killed and then recreated. Some had, could be fixed. And it was forever before Amazon could actually make the change because you had to ask them nicely, so to speak. <laughs> uh, 
you, you go in and make the change, and then when you hit submit, nothing happens, unlike Seller Central. They, you, mm-hmm. they have to review it. They have to approve it. Of course, you are in the hands of low-level people, and then they probably have some kind of review process. So it just takes forever. So that's the content part. Now, the second thing that you mentioned is the price control, which means that especially if you have distribution through resellers, you can have any one of them selling on Amazon, depending on your agreement, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, Amazon is also selling, and Amazon will price it down, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So what about MAP policy? Do you, did, uh, how would Amazon adhere to a MAP policy? The short answer is they don't. <laughs> they don't care. And it's not, I mean, it's not like we can enforce anything against that. I mean, we could try, but, uh, and we can ask them to change it. But, um, you know, I, my feeling is their vendor manager team has gotten so small that they don't care about brands a certain size and they're not going to respond. They're not going to give you any, they're not going to give you the time of day, whether it's content pricing or just general questions like in an agreement um, that we sign with them or something like that. But yeah, the short answer is they don't <laughs> adhere to it. <laughs> so, uh, so fine. So due to content and, uh, or I should say lack of content and price control, you decide, okay, that's it. I'm going to become a seller. So now tell us about that experience because now you've got two teams who are rivals, right? You have the vendor central team and seller central team. I want you to describe the first time you had reached out to them and said, look, guys, I'm not becoming a seller. What happened? Yeah, well, so on the vendor side, RPOs seem to be automated. We do have a vendor manager, but I don't honestly I don't know who they are. I haven't talked to them in years. And I, I think their, their time in a seat at a desk is now like three to six months where when we first started with vendor managers, I think it was like, a year and a half to two years, and then we would get a new vendor manager. So it's a completely different um, system. So on the vendor side, I really haven't done a whole lot, but then I reached out to Seller Central and I got lucky because they do have a program for new brands. And although I'm not a new brand on Amazon, I'm a new brand on Seller Central. So I have an account rep in Seller Central that's trying to navigate stuff with me. But that being said, there's a lot of red tape. Like I, some of our hero ASINs, I'm trying to send inventory in and Vendor Central has a block where I can't send inventory in on Seller Central. So now we're trying to navigate that. Like how do you get that release? Why do they put a block? Um, we don't know for sure. They're saying it has to do with packaging reasons, but we've reached out to the packaging team um, and we're trying to get it all reset, like the packaging um, prep instructions reset. But I mean, anybody who's worked with Amazon knows you start, you start here and you have to work your way up. And, you know, we've worked our way up probably halfway through the customer service chain and we're, we're really getting nowhere. And that's with internal Amazon help. Okay. So, so any any suggestions you have, I'm open. <laughs> well, how about killing the listing completely and creating a new one with a different UPC? Um, we can, but they have the ASIN block. They don't have the UPC block. So if and it's our number one selling ASIN on Vendor Central. So we don't want to kill that because it already has the velocity. So one of the things that I suggest to my clients who are Vendor Central account owners, I say, look, you don't have to switch from being a vendor to seller. You can split your inventory, inventory being your SKUs, and decide, look, these SKUs, we're going to keep it with Amazon mm-hmm. and, and just stay as a vendor and then these SKUs, we're going to bring it in-house. And then if yeah. you have an account manager, of course, that, that would be a nice conversation to have. Look, you know, we want to continue. Of course, they would welcome that more, rather than lose the whole account. Uh, so that may be something that you could try. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I mean, we are 
utilizing the hybrid model right now um, because there's 15 ASINs that it's blocked on. So those, I, I'm doing exactly what you're saying. I'm shipping inventory into Vendor Central. They can control the listing while I navigate and try to get control of the listing. Um, and once that happens, then I'll switch it to Seller Central. Yeah. But, <laughs> so my question to you is, because we struggled with this at the time, when you are a Vendor Central account, the listings are created by Amazon, right? I mean, take not originally. Not originally. Um, so we, when we took over the brand, we it was all flat file uploads, um, and we loaded all of our products in there. And then um, Amazon, I think at the time, it, it was a long time ago, but at the time, like the vendor manager had the option of what he or she wanted to bring in. And then they put a PO in for those items. But we were so early or early-ish um, at the time, as you mentioned earlier, Amazon wanted everything. Yeah. So, uh, but on the books, on Amazon's books, that listing is owned by Amazon, right? Because they, they in terms of control. So Currently, yeah. Yeah. So when you become a seller, what is that transition look like? Because you want to now take control of it. And how do you go about doing that? And what is the process? Um, I mean, my understanding is brand registry because so far the listings we've taken over, um, as long as you have your trademark, your brand registered, um, Amazon adheres to the brand registry um, guidelines and they essentially hand over the listing to us. And how long does that take usually? Um, well, I mean, the trademark process can take years, but oh, no, uh, one you get on your brand registry. And then oh, you um, I want this, this ASIN to be under my control. It didn't take long for most of the ASINs, but you know, the ones that Amazon um, is, uh, has all the red tape around, it's taking a lot longer and brand registry is kind of, one of their responses was, this is out of our control because it has to do with some other aspect of the listing. And it's like, well, but I can't get the answer to what that aspect of the listing is or who I need to talk to. Oh, how about, do you ever have situations where you had duplicate listings? They, the duplicates were created for the same item? Um, we have in the past, we've cleaned our catalog a couple times. Um, so if we see that, I normally will either merge ASINs and or just kill uh, one of the ASINs. Um, and actually where we saw that was when we went to international to Canada um, because of how Amazon duplicated listings and previously used to duplicate listings to go. Um, but it's relatively cleaned up now. There's still some issues. but So <laughs> one of the things that I, I found was other sellers would, even though they were resellers, they would create their own UPC. Yeah. Signed it. So did you ever have that kind of situation? Yeah. You know, we had somebody, I don't know how they were buying our product, um, but they were creating packs and what, it, and they created their own uh, UPCs for them, which in turn created a new ASIN for it. Um, and or they would sit on our ASIN as well. Um, and we went through the brand registry process and were able to get them removed because they didn't have a um, distribution contract. I don't remember exactly how we did it because brand registry can be a little interesting to work with because they're really only copyright infringement and trademark infringement. Um, and technically, Amazon is an open marketplace where anybody can sell anything. Um, but they were, I think they were using our graphics and they were using our logo, which was, uh, you know, copyright or trademark infringement. I see. Okay. So the takeaway really is brand registry is key. So if you are a vendor uh, to Amazon, the first thing you have to do is get on Amazon brand registry. And then after that, you can think about transitioning. And after transitioning, be ready for a long process with a lot of headache, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a very way, good way to summarize it. Yeah. <laughs>
So uh, as far as there is one more thing, it's, it's the natural outcome. But if you're selling to Amazon, you're selling at a wholesale price, right? Right. But if you're selling on Seller Central, you're selling at retail price, and then you pay Amazon their commission and the fulfillment fee. So right. some vendors, I this is going back a couple of years, uh, they were saying to me that, well, why should I become a seller? Because if I sell at retail, by the time I pay the fees, you know, I, I've got a very good deal with Amazon. It's not really worth me switching. So what do you say to that? How do they compare selling Amazon wholesale price versus selling at retail and paying the fees? Where do they land? Yeah, um, I guess it depends what the business model is. I mean, you're right. We have wholesale pricing and we get paid what we need to get paid through Vendor Central. Um, I think one of the hard things with that is you put in for a price increase on your wholesale price to Amazon and they're not necessarily going to accept it. <laughs> uh, so on Seller Central, you know, obviously being able to control pricing, if prices increase or inflation or whatever, we can control that elevation. Um, and to kind of circle back, when we did the analysis of our vendor central agreements, the percentage that Amazon takes um, as basically co-ops and things like that out of the um, PO versus Amazon seller central fees, it was almost identical um, with what we would be getting back in our pockets. I so see. for me, and I know that's not always true. It just happened. It was just a coincidence that it was very, very close. Um, but for me to have the control on the content, the pricing, the advertising, all of that, more important than. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, control is what everything is about, right? So that's what. <laughs> right. Now, <clears throat> the other thing that I know is when Amazon, if you are a vendor to Amazon and you're selling to Amazon, and, and let's say you have a distribution network so you have other companies selling your item on amazon so amazon is competing with them so let's say the buy box is i don't know say 45 dollars and amazon is is one of the sellers they'll go in and then they'll price it right down to like 40 or 39 mm -hmm. five. so and it makes no sense they could sell it for 44 and they'll still be in the buy box at least it keeps the price high high enough mm -hmm without really hurting the brand value so much. So I actually took this up with Amazon once. And I said, with one of the high level guys, and I, you know, I would say, look guys, what, you really can end up with more revenue if you're not, if you were not so aggressive with the buy box when you are the seller. And you just discount so heavily, it makes no sense. Why do you do that? You know what the answer was? No, I'm interested to hear. <laughs> website behavior we have no control over oh wow so it's just their algorithms changing wow i give you another story i had i discovered a loophole but totally legit so <clears throat> as a seller you may be interested i mean you won't really use this because you're using fba right correct yeah, so you won't really use it. But for those who are using FBM, where you're fulfilling your own orders, you can, you know, you have to go and set up your shipping settings of how mm -hmm. much you want to charge per order. And you have different options there for different services. And that applies across the board, right? So whatever the order is, you know, if you chose standard, uh, you know, 595, that's what it will charge. Well, there is actually a feed called shipping override. What that allows you to do is submit a shipping charge per SKU, per service. Oh. So what happened was I set up my shipping feed and then I linked it up to my shipping system so that I would calculate a moving average for every SKU, how much it's costing us to ship because some orders are coming from California, some from New York, so shipping all over the place. So, uh, so I would submit a shipping override fee and my shipping became not a cost, but actually a, a little profit center on its own. And then I discovered that somebody else had done that, but you know what they did? 
they actually did not allow standard shipping. They only allowed expedited shipping. So that lowest tier that everybody uses for the lowest shipping cost, they were not offering. They were wow. offering only expedited. So now, so now what happens is, as you know, Buybox calculation algorithm looks at the total. So Amazon algorithm was looking at the item price plus the shipping price. What is the shipping? They were only considering the standard. Standard didn't exist. And this guy was capturing all the buy boxes. Oh, wow. And I, I discovered this. Yeah, because he only did expedite. I documented it and with screenshots, everything. And I submitted to Amazon. And I said, look, there is a loophole and this merchant is abusing it. You know what they came back and said? Sorry, we have no control. It's website behavior. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they're honest. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? About two months later, they fixed it. Oh, I was going to say, is that still around? <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> but shipping over right feed is still there. You can use it. Yeah, which that's hugely helpful because obviously your weights and measures of different SKUs are going to be different. So you can't blanket. Well, I mean, Amazon FBA offers a huge advantage. You have the same right. across, across the board. So, well, now that they put up their fees, you can compare and see if you can get a better shipping cost. And then, but then you have your fulfillment, customer service, other metrics and blah, blah. All right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. So, uh, so the moral of the story is vendor central to seller central, uh, definitely seller central, seller central is a much better option. Uh, if you want control over your content and price, but get ready for a rocky transition because it's not as easy because you need to take control of the listings, right? Right. 100%. And, you know, I think setting up a seller central account is much different than moving from vendor to seller, but um, yeah. So let's, let's now talk about operating the seller account. So give us your take on, what are the things that you watch, you know, especially if you're transitioning from vendor to uh, seller? Um, I mean, FBA fees, you have to make sure that your the price of your product is going to cover those. But, uh, you know, I think that's one thing that's really nice about Amazon is they're very transparent about these are the fees we're taking. So before you even start selling, you know where you need to be or you can adjust your pricing. It's not going to be a surprise. Um, so yeah, I think we look at that. Uh, we obviously look at, well, yeah, fees and then advertising, um, that just to be able to quantify it is a lot easier on the seller central side because versus vendor central, because vendor central kind of a black box. Like the only way you can truly measure it is increases in POs, but you'd have no idea if it was your marketing that did that, or if it's just time of year or what it is. So, um, yeah, I think marketing and pricing are probably the two major things we look at. So what I'm hearing really, if I translate into how I think, uh, is the revenue model. You have to really establish your revenue model in terms of what your costs are associated with every sale and therefore where your margins will end up so that you can set, assign your selling price accordingly, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're not making money, you're not going to be around very long. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is something that most companies don't do as a, uh, a discipline exercise where they look at their margins. They just say, okay, we want to be the cheapest and we want to make it up on quantity, but that doesn't really work because your costs will also scale <laughs> with right. the sales. So your margin is not going to be enough if you're not making enough money. Just yesterday, I, I had a client and they had never done this. So they submitted their information. I've got a little template. And I said, Look, populate all the information here. Let's look at where you are. They were actually making a dollar loss on every sale. Wow. Because they had they never thought about the, the FBA, Amazon commission, and let alone the discounts that they were going to offer. So I, so I put a couple of what-if scenarios and said, look, if you don't offer any discount, then you are making about a dollar loss. 
Now, let's look at what happens if you just offer a 15% coupon, which mm-hmm. everybody does. Well, that goes right down even further. I said, well, I said, it's cheaper for you not to do any business. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, exactly. You're yeah. like, thank you for my time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what, what, uh, other than the revenue model, so you, you mentioned taking control of the listings. What do you do with the listing once you take control? Um, a lot. You know, I think Amazon's changed drastically. I'd say probably within the last one and a half to two years with the ability to increase content flows. They now have, I mean, A plus content has been around, but it's a much better um, platform at this point. You have brand stories. Um, there's more imagery and photo or imagery and video capabilities in the carousel. Um, and then obviously you have Amazon stores. So once you have, once you have the listing, like it's important that you're creating the best customer experience, um, cause you only have a finite amount of time for somebody to look at it. So if they, there's only one image, somebody's gonna be like, Oh, I don't trust this product. Um, but if you have the listing fully built out with a lot of great content, um, you know, the conversion rate will or should increase at least. So that's what I was driving at. Uh, You just said the magic word, the conversion rate. So uh, describe what conversion rate is and why it's important. I mean, essentially it's a sale, right? So if you're the consumer, you go to Amazon and let's say you type in coffee, Um, you know, you're going to get, hundreds of listings of coffee and you probably won't go past the first page. Um, you're going to pick a coffee on there and you might look at two or three, but, um, you know, traditionally you're going to buy on that first page above the fold, which just means scrolling. Um, and you're going to look at the listing and if the listing looks nice, you're probably like, okay, I'll try this product. You check out you and you make the sale and that's a conversion. Um, now if you come to me and you look at my listing and you click off of my page and you go buy somebody else's, I lose the sale. I lose the conversion. Okay. So let's break that down <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> because it's always the, the, the pieces of the puzzle. <laughs> so first of all, people come to the website and then they do the search. The first thing that comes up is a bunch of listings. So the challenge number one is for somebody to actually notice your listing and then click on it. That's called the click-through rate, right? Correct. So so the first challenge is to differentiate yourself from the other listings, provided that you already show up on that first page already. (laughs) That's the key. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole different challenge on its own. But let's assume that you have accomplished that. That now, for those keywords that people are using, you've done your homework, you've optimized your listing, you've done your advertising, and uh, it, somehow you are ending up on the first page for the search. Now, they, you need to get the customer or the shopper to click on your list. How you do that, that's, you know, it's, it's a question on its own. What, what, what is it that people are looking at? So obviously they are seeing the, uh, the price or in some cases the range because if there are variations, they are seeing definitely the picture and they are reading the title. So mm-hmm. that's what you have to work with. Somehow you have to make them work. There are of course ways to make them work. But so the first one is get your click through. Once they click through the listing, now they are on your product page. Now you have a captive shopper, potential shopper waiting there. Now your page has to speak to them in order for them to say, okay, I'm buying this. And they click add to cart and check out. So that is conversion. So yeah, I think there's, I think there's another interesting piece of that is FBA versus FBM because Amazon has trained their customers to want product in 24 to 48, 72 hours, where if you're FBM, um, while you can get, I think it's prime badge certified. It's not easy. So FBA obviously is, they're all prime, um, which prime conversion rates are much higher than the other. 
Yeah. So, in fact, you know, the, you have the setting on the left-hand side. You can just switch to Prime and just look at the Prime products. The rest doesn't right. matter. <laughs> so, right. so, conversion rate is, is key because what you've done is you, you have overcome challenge number one to get them to click through your listing. And now you've got them on your page. And if you get them to convert to buy, you've converted the shopper into a, a buyer. If not, they'll click out and then go buy something else. Now, tell us why that conversion rate is important, other than the fact that obviously you're making the sale, but how does that impact? What else does it impact? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we're making money, but um, it, it plays into the velocity of the brand is my understanding. And then, um, you know, obviously you can do marketing and everything, but um, the algorithm picks up conversions and which can actually lead to getting the best seller badge, which then will create more conversions. Um, so I think it just compounds, um, yeah. you know, the more people are checking out with your product in the cart, the better you're going to perform. And really that's, what's going to put you on the first page above the fold. And, you know, if you're not on the first two pages, I know there's some metric out there, but if you're not on the first two pages, you're not going to get found. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. So it's all about the algorithm. So you mentioned something a couple of times, which is really the Amazon's business model. Um, and that is best provide the best customer experience. So uh, I say that you really have to translate that into the things that you ought to be doing, because that is a business model, real business model that gets applied to customer relationships, seller relationships, vendor, everything. So best customer experience from the shopper's standpoint, which is all that matters. Amazon doesn't care about seller or vendor experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, they, they just want to know that somebody who came to the website, they did a search and they clicked on an item. They liked the item and they bought it. Right. Afterwards, never returned it and left a positive feedback positive rating and also a, a positive rating and a positive feedback for the seller. That is a, the best customer experience because it basically tells Amazon that Amazon has done its job to show listings that were good and the seller did the job to of provide a good product and you can tell that from the reviews. So if someone... Well, I think... Yeah, go ahead. I think there's an interesting piece too between vendor and seller on customer experience. Um, if a customer is unhappy on a vendor central purchase, they reach out to Amazon. Amazon opens what's called an and on cord, which is basically asking the the wholesaler what's going on with the product, and then we have to answer it. And we never see what ends up happening. Where seller central, if you're a customer and you have an issue with our product you can reach out to us directly. Um, and we have the ability to step in and fix that issue before you leave a review, before you leave feedback. Um, we're Vendor Central, it's a black box and I don't know who the customers are. I don't, I don't have a way to reach them. Um, so I think that's another benefit of Seller Central is yeah. being able to communicate. Yeah, and, and also, you know, you are able to, if it's a, not product, but for sellers, you can actually challenge some of the feedback left because some feedback is not justified. So, um, right. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that brings up feedback versus reviews yes, <laughs> versus voice yes. a customer. Well, like, I make it, I make <laughs> it even more fun for you. So now, as you know, there was product reviews and seller feedbacks. There's two different mm -hmm. things. One is for the seller. The seller could be selling anything. It doesn't have to right. be on their brand and they don't do a good job, then they get a feedback, negative feedback or whatever. By the way, most sellers don't pay attention to that. They don't know. Right. But it's important. It's a little percentage next it's, to your brand name. It's all part of the buy box situation. So if your yep. seller uh, feedback rating goes really bad, then they won't even put you in the buy box. So right. uh, now for the products, it's all about the product. And by the way, for those who don't know, if somebody leaves a seller feedback, that's negative and it's about the product, you can ask that to be removed because right. feedback is supposed to be about sellers. So now well, and I think 
that's true with fulfillment too, right? As long as you're on FBA, if there's a fulfillment yes. issue, you can right. get it crossed out. Basically, anything related to fulfillment for prime uh, sellers, anything related to a product for sellers, anything that contains curse words or anything like that, bad language, you can ask them all to be removed and they will remove it. So, uh, so that, that's the advantage, but you have to stay on top of it. You have to know where you are and you have to stay on top of it. Yeah, yeah but, I think you only have, what, 30 or 60 days to ask for feedback to be removed. So, you need, I mean, you've got to add it to your at least weekly or monthly exactly. list of to-dos. Yeah. So uh, the other thing is what was the, the product review. So product review is all about the product. So now recently, recently being like maybe a few months ago, they now added one more thing. <laughs> Voice of the customer. <laughs> oh, no, that's product rating. Oh. So you actually, when you buy a, a product, you can rate it, but not leave a review. Oh, right. I, are we, I, give me more on that. Are you able to go in and fight that if it's bad? You are? Okay, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I haven't experienced it yet. You you can because a lot of, you know, people don't like typing. So what happens is when you buy a product, immediately Amazon will send the the request to leave a feedback, uh, to leave a product review. And then also you can ask for it from Seller Central. You can ask for it, which is another subject. But uh, (laughs) as the shopper, when you get that request, you can click the stars and then you're done. Yeah. Or optionally, you also have the review. So ideally, of course, you submit both, but most people don't. So what happens is if you go to your page and you look at your product, it will say 97 ratings, 65 reviews. So I've got to look at it. I, I, I had heard about it, but I have not seen it. Uh, yeah, yet, so I've got to look into it. Thing. So now what happens is Amazon has these stores around the country called four-star stores, as you know. Mm-hmm. Well, those ratings determine your star. So you have 4.6, uh, you know, up to five. So that's why I think they decided to separate the reviews from ratings, not to mention it's easier to leave a rating. Right. Yeah. That's, Yeah. So many different nuances that oh, you have yeah. to be aware of. It's, I mean. So my key question to you is, you mentioned how important the conversion rate is. So how do you check the conversion rate and how often do you stay on top of it? And most important, what do you do with it when you check it? What do you do with it? Is this like a sporadic thing or is this a regular thing? And how are you doing it in terms of practical aspect of it? Yeah, I'm going to want your feedback on on how you do it because, um, you know, mine is basically looking at sell-through um, and downloading reports that will show, you know, sessions and conversions and that sort of thing. And um, normally, we don't do it. We probably do it every other month, um, which might not be enough, but we don't have it. We have a really small team. Um, but... I, that's where I think you really start tweaking your listings. If, the, right. if you see the conversion rates going down um, or there's all, I mean, even if your conversion rates are great, there's always room to improve a listing. And I'm going through that with a transition. Like our coffee brands need a lot of content um, work. And that's what we're working on because I had gotten taken away for another project for a little while. So we're now getting back on that and, yeah, hopefully our conversion rates go up. So I, I do have an answer for you. Uh, it's, it, so the short answer is there is no such thing uh, that you can find out there that you can sign up and then it will provide your conversion rate. It's unfortunately, you have to go to your business reports and then download the file at child's uh, ASIN level. And then now downloading doesn't, do anything you need to now really put it to use and that's totally up to you what kind of data you're looking at if you're a data person or how good you are in in, in looking at data working with data together with working with excel and what 
that it just becomes an open situation. So those are the mechanics. And uh, I do have a solution that I use. Uh, I'll share that with you. Um, but uh, uh, that's basically the, the way to do it. Now, what I always encourage, first of all, that business reports that I mentioned is so critical. There are three data points that I look at. Uh, that key, and then there is a fourth one. And, and it all comes from that same file. One is your conversion rates, of course. You want to look at your conversion rates composite across the board, as well as at SKU level and your top 10 SKUs. And you need to be tracking them on daily basis because you need to know what's going on. I mean, uh, two months is better than not doing it. But, I mean, let's face it, it's too late already. Right. So, uh, and also, most important, you need to be looking at it in perspective. So what, is, what was your conversion rate last year, last month, this year, this year, uh, last year, uh, or last month, last year, this month, compared to this month? So all these things you need to be looking at. You need to look at trends because everything follows uh, some kind of a trend. So those are the things. That's one. The second one is your average order value, uh, composite, as well as per listing. And you can run promotions based on what that shows. Another one is your um, uh, traffic. Your traffic. What is your traffic? Uh, again, in perspective, per listing, composite. And the fourth one is uh, your buy box retention. For private label sellers, this is key. Now, most people think this. Well, I am the only seller. There is no resellers. There's no nothing. And then as yet, I get their information, we plug it into our system and our system, bang, it shows it. Last two years of data, 86%, 85%, 79%. Well, how is that possible? Well, those are the numbers. So I tell you how it's possible. Number one, somebody is buying from you and then selling without authorization and you didn't even know. They bought it, resold it, and they're done. So you need to be able to pick up these things right away. The other thing is, guess what? People buy it and then they return it. If it's prime, Amazon mm -hmm. will take the return and then Amazon will sell it as Amazon Warehouse. So suddenly- It's interesting It's interesting we're talking about the buy box. I just had a, a lengthy conversation with um, some people about it and just- there's some information on it, but it's like, there's so many different aspects that go into it. Like the Amazon warehouse thing. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Amazon does that because as you know, when something is returned, Amazon will give the refund right away. Mm -hmm. And then what happens to the product? In some cases, they put it in the way, uh, put it back in your stock so that you can sell it. That's no problem. But in many cases, Amazon will actually refund the customer and pay you for it because they call it damaged, but they damaged it in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. So that's another, Crazy. another reason. If you happen to run a promotion, you're selling the product somewhere else other than Amazon, and you're running a promotion and your price on that site is lower, Amazon will take you off the buy box. So Yes, I do. I know that. And I'm curious, though, if you're the only seller on there, do they just not give you winning the buy box? It's just not attributed to you, even if you make that sale? You know what they do? You go to the listing. There is no buy box. Your product comes up. But instead of it doesn't show the price, nothing. And then it says it's buy from this. No, no. It just says available from these sellers and a hyperlink. You have to click that. Uh, or, or on the right-hand side, uh, other options available. And you have to click that. Then it opens a very unattractive small box <laughs> yeah. to show the sellers. And that's where you appear. Got it. So technically, you're not winning the buy box. Exactly. Because they took away the buy box. <laughs> right. That's, I, that was what I was trying to explain to somebody the other day. So that was very good. That's helpful for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, okay. All right. So uh, 
So I want to also talk about something else before we wrap up, because this is like, you know, I introduce you as a startup addict. You really are an addict because you've got another company, right? So Lono Life, tell us about Lono Life and your experience with it. Yeah. So Lono Life, we started in 2015, launched um, on Amazon first in January 2016. Um, and that was actually my first first time using seller central which was much different back then than it is now but um that's where i really became educated on seller central we grew the brand um to you know 38 ends or so and then in 2021 um we ended up selling at the end of the year so i just exited that um still consulting with them on amazon and a little bit on the d2c side um, but yeah, I mean, that was a huge learning experience, you know, it's from the inception of a perishable good all the way from growing it from zero to exiting, um, five years later. So, uh, what I want to really, uh, emphasize here is your experience of that acquisition, because you still doing things with that company, right? So <laughs> on a daily basis. And you are still eating it, right? So because for anybody who is doing this, this is an interesting uh, story. So anybody who's looking to buy it, start a company and then sell, uh, this is also another possibility. So tell us a little bit about that, what your arrangement is and, and how that worked out. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I ran Amazon for six years. So I know, I know the brand and, um, backwards and forwards. I know the Amazon account backwards and forwards. Uh, it's not easy for somebody to come in that doesn't necessarily understand Amazon and or doesn't have some, an Amazon professional that's running the account to take it over. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with the transition of the company. Um, you know, what is it, June now? So we sold it in October. So what's that night? I've been with them nine months past the the time of sale. Um, and I'm on a month to month contract and they can get rid of me whenever they want. But as long as I'm providing value and, um, helping them on Amazon, they, you know, it could go on forever. Was it uh, a private equity firm or an individual investor who, who bought it? Yeah. So it was actually, it's very interesting. Um, we were looking at private equity and we looked at some aggregators and then, um, when we started the company, we had seven business partners um, that all kind of had different things from food science to CEO, CFO, um, to operations, to brick and mortar sales. And then I was the Amazon piece um, along with one other person. Um, and to, as we went through the sale process, did all the due diligence with all these other companies, two of the partners um, decided that they wanted to continue the brand and raise capital to buy the company from everybody. So, you know, it was a friendly, friendly buyout. Uh, the people that um, were ready to exit, exited. The two people that didn't want to exit stayed on. And then, uh, you know, I'm still good friends with them. I'm running Amazon. So it's right. It's the best case scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, I think it's also, it's, it's a unique buy because you're not selling to somebody or to a private equity that doesn't understand the brand. Like these guys still understand the brand and then live it and breathe it daily. So the brand is still alive and it's thriving, which I think yeah. is great. Well, I mean, uh, look, that's the best formula. You get the most value that way, you know, from your company. That, mm -hmm. uh, and also, you know, it's the perfect example of having your cake and eating it, right? So you still <laughs> cashed in, but you still, and, and at the same time, you know, I will tell you, uh, I actually had a guest. Uh, his episode was just published. Uh, his name is Greg, Greg Alfring. He's the director of marketing for Empire Flippers. It's the online marketplace of aggregators and sellers. So they kind of matchmake uh, uh, companies who wants to sell uh, with investors. So um, he was giving me what is common these days and that, if you've done a good job and you demonstrated leadership in building the company, they'll buy it from you anyway, but they'll also keep you as a consultant for a year. So it's a, yeah. it's a good way to do it. 
Yeah, I still keep in touch with one of the aggregators and, um, you know, their model is they can buy 100% of the company and you can walk away or they're like, we buy 51%, you retain 49 and you stay on and help us run the company and grow it. So I think there's so many options. And I think that they really, those types of options really just came into light within the last couple of years when aggregators really started um, buying Amazon businesses. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is great. So we learned all about Amazon. I just want to learn a little bit about you. So uh, give me about your darkest moment doing this business with Amazon as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a human being. So what is it that pushed you in that corner? And, uh, and what was that like? Oh, like the, the most stressful point on Amazon? Whatever, uh, whatever qualifies. Man, I, you know, I think the most stressful, and if anybody's run into this, I think you would agree. Like Amazon has a switch and they can flip it um on or off and we had i want to say i i might be wrong but i feel like it was like right at christmas or right at new year's or like around something important where i was trying to take some time off and not work and they shut down our number one asin and there wasn't really i mean if anybody's went through it they, they send you something that just says oh this asin's been shut down we're investigating it blah 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 and you're like what the hell? Like, what am I doing? Like, what happened? So, you know, you spend the next five, 10 hours trying to figure it out on the phone with Amazon. Um, and fortunately, we were able to get it turned back on within, you know, 24 or 48 hours. But I mean, that's probably the lowest point in the roller coaster ride. Is how, when, do you, how do you how do you put yourself through that and then come out the other end? I mean, what do you do? What are some of the I, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's damage control, right? Like you're freaking out, um, but you have to stay calm. Um, you want to throw your cell phone through the window, but you have to, yeah, you have to stay calm. You have to talk to Amazon. You have to understand their perspective and be professional and work through it while your body's screaming inside and you have adrenaline pumping and you're just, you know, you're freaking out. Like if that ASIN gets shut down, it's, you know, 70, 80% of the sales. And it's so you, yeah, I mean, your brand could die. Yeah. <laughs> just based on that, but Amazon, it, Amazon also on the flip side of that, Amazon will work with you. Once you get to the right person, they can help you navigate it. Um, and figure out what's truly going on. But that can also be frustrating because anybody who's called Amazon customer service knows you start down here and you need to be up here to fix issues. Yeah. So you need a lot of inner strength and also a methodical approach to the problem, right? So, Yeah. You know, I mean, entrepreneurship in general is very stressful. It's a roller coaster ride and Amazon is a piece of that. And, you know, I love Amazon and I'll, I'll always sell on Amazon, but Amazon has to switch. Like, they can turn you off. Uh, well, the worst version of a shutdown is having your seller's central account suspended. Right. That is and like... Not, not, knock on wood. I've never had the entire account suspended. Knock on wood. But, okay. and I think that's why, you know, you need to play above board. Amazon has terms and conditions for a reason. And um, if they catch you violating them, they well, don't think there twice. Are also, there are also sellers that do things, you know, just for the purpose of taking you out because they're playing the buy box game. Mm -hmm. And if you are out of the buy box, I mean, in this case, it doesn't apply to you because you are the only seller, but either way, another brand, can get you taken out, which will go to... I. My favorite story is I actually was in a small group of people with um, Howard Schultz, the former Starbucks yeah. guy. So uh, when he was brought back as the CEO by the board after retiring, uh, he, it was, everything was terrible. Everything was going down and he had to... So basically he put a training program to go back to the basics and retrain the baristas 
So he made the decision for all Starbucks stores to shut down exactly at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, okay. I remember that. Yeah. So, and he was telling the story. You know what happened? Dunkin' Donuts moved in on it just to thwart the, the customers to Dunkin' Donuts stores, giving, you know, incentives. Oh, you know, you, 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 you know it's, it's closed, but we are here for you. <laughs> Come to us. So, so, you know, the competition is always waiting and sometimes they do things. So, um, so tell us about uh, a little bit where you live. And, you know, we heard about the new baby and, uh, and we heard about your surfing. And, uh, and also give us your contact information, how people can find you and, and uh, anything else that's relevant, which will be on our website, but it's good to mention it here. Yeah, um, I'm based in San Diego. Um, you know, as Nick said, I just had a baby. She'll be six weeks old this week. So navigating fatherhood since it's my first first uh, baby and continuing to run the companies. Um, yeah, so, you know, I thrive on Amazon and the startup world. So I'll probably be doing many more projects in the future, but um, anybody who wants to get a hold of me, super easy. You can look me up on um, LinkedIn, Craig Leslie, and it's just L-E-S-L-I-E. Uh, and then my email is just C-R-A-I-G at CraigLeslie.com. So I keep it, keep it super simple. <laughs> great, great. Thank you, Craig. This was, uh, this was great because uh, this is a controversial subject about Vendor Central versus Seller Central. You brought a lot of clarity to it. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, with that, another episode comes to an end and I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.